All right. Um, as, as as Mark just said, it is uh, it's time for our next chapter of the day. Chris Capri, who is, um, as Mark said, an absolute beast when it comes to options. Uh, and he's got some options tra- uh, plays for us for a bear market. Uh, so let's bring him on right now. Chris Capri. How we doing, man? Good. How we doing? Doing fantastic. Fantastic. How was the rest of, since you were also at FinTwin, I'll just ask you, how was the rest of your trip after we parted ways? Um, it was good. No more uh, casino for me after that. That was good. Uh, you know, walked with, what, 150%? I think you yeah, Chris and I 200 plus percent. Yeah, we, so, we, we had a good run there for about an hour. We, we banged it pretty hard, and that was good, and walked our money and left. That's the way That's to it. do it. So uh, Profits. That's it. Yeah, that was that was pretty much it. So after that, just called it a day and then uh, had a nice breakfast and took off the next morning. Nice. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to bring up your, your presentation here and uh, give it the floor. Take it away, sir. Cool. All right. Hi, everybody. Hello to both the StreamYard and the YouTube. I am watching the YouTube comments live, so I will be able to respond to you all here. So my name is Chris Capri. I'm the head of the Benzinga Option School. Uh, just a brief bio for me, uh, for those of you who've never seen me before. So I am a former broker on Wall Street, which means I was on the sell side. I then went to the buy side on the hedge fund trading side. And I have you know, been trading for about 21 years now, which means I've seen some sort of major market event crash something literally every two years. And that creates a lot of experience and a lot of opportunities to learn and kind of be able to deal with situations like this. My actually the first full year of my trading, I got to see the NASDAQ bubble go up really fast and then pop. And so I didn't grow up in this period of like what we had the last decade, which was basically the best decade in the last 100 years. Like we haven't had really a better decade ever where the market, you know, did what it did over a 10 year period and then crashed for five weeks. And then ripped another 118% in less than two years. Like we've never had that in history before. I've looked over charts of 100 years. So, you know, when I look at this environment right now, for me, it's actually very comfortable because of the first year of my trading, you know, where I was kind of building all these new neurological circuits and wires and how the markets work. I learned very quickly that we can be in bear markets. And so, you know, Mark at the uh the fintwick conference you know when he was giving his speech he was saying he's like look you know i understand why this younger generation has always had this buy the dip mentality because for the last decade that's all the market did you know that's all you had to do is the is the easiest decade in history now many of you are getting a taste of what a market can do when that strategy completely fails and if you're not prepared for it you could just get run over blow up your account lose what you could in a few months, what you had made in years prior. And it's important that you have tools and strategies and methodologies to trade in these bear markets. So I feel very comfortable in these bear markets, just as I do in bull markets. And so hopefully I can kind of impart some of that experience to you. So um, also, as it does say in there, I am the head of the Benzing Option School. So uh, we do talk about, you know, what we're talking about today is like 3%, maybe 5% of the bear market methodologies and strategies and how we approach bear markets in the option school. So we're just going to give you a little taste of that. So you can kind of have some tools and feel like you can walk away with something that can help you either mitigate or neutralize risk or actually make money while the markets are going down. We're making money in the Benzing option school. We're trading live and we're making money. So if you're not making money consistently and we have been making money consistently, then maybe your strategy isn't right for the environment. Maybe you need a new set of skills and maybe you need a new set of methodologies and a new way of understanding how markets work. So hopefully we can accomplish this today during the class. So trading in a bear market, how do we trade options in a bear market? This is a very fat and happy bear right now. He's enjoying the the bearish flows right now. There are four kind of simple methodologies or frameworks that you can employ to work with a bear market in terms of how you've been trading it. So the first thing you have to do is you have to address your existing long exposure. Most likely, probably 80% of you still have some sort of existing long exposure in your account, in your portfolio. And these can be medium-term swing trades, short-term swing trades, long-term trades, whatever it is. As a whole, most market participants are long the market. 
as a whole. There's, you know, the market does have a general drift upwards and it has a natural bias towards that. But as you're experiencing, some of you for the first time, that we are in, you know, a bearish market. And so how do we do with our existing long exposure? This is super, super important. We have to have a framework and methodology for kind of working with these trades. Super important. The next thing is how do we trade volatility? You know, how do we do volatility trading in this environment? How does volatility change drastically from a bull to a bear market? Super important to understand that. How do we isolate the few bulls? Because there are going to be some trades that are going to be bullish. It could be an inverse ETF or an inverse index play through an ETF. That's a possibility. But there are also stocks that are performing right now. Believe it or not, there are stocks that are performing and they're performing quite well year on year. So we want to isolate them. And we also want to have bearish strategies as a whole. If the majority of the market is rolling over, then we need to, and we aren't in some of these, we need to use these stocks that are rolling over as opportunities to make money going down. We cannot just make money only buying because that will limit you in environments like this. And in the great financial crisis, that would have been like one of the worst strategies possible. Why? Because the GFC topped in July 2007. And it didn't bottom till 2009. So if you were long only, you were getting killed, killed, killed month after month after month. Maybe you had one month out of 10 that won, but you were just getting destroyed. And you have to learn to trade with both directions in the market. If you are an only buy the dip and only stocks only go up, you are going to find out really hard that that's not true. Markets can sell off. They can sell off for years. And you need to learn how to adapt to that. The one thing, the one of the most important skills that I've learned over 21 years is the ability to adapt to the different market conditions, to not be monogamous with only the long side or only the short side. But the market is always changing, always evolving. The market we see today, while it has some similarities to prior markets, it is its own unique market. A lot of people say, oh, this is what happened in you know such and such time. And every time the S&P 500 does that, yeah, but that environment passed then, the Fed wasn't raising rates, we didn't have rampant inflation, we didn't have a war going on in Europe. There's, We have to look at each market as a different set of conditions and weather variables, and that should give us information as to how we trade that. So this is kind of like four kind of frameworks that you have to address in a bear market, and we're going to go through each one individually. Okay, so I'm not seeing any... Uh, you. Okay, not seeing any major questions right now. So let's go ahead and bust through this here. Let's start talking about existing long exposure. Let's address the, the biggest problem some of you are facing right now. What do you do with your existing long exposure? Well, first off, my general recommendation as someone who's lived through and traded through two very long bear markets. You know, the, uh, now the dot-com bubble was like two plus years. So you couldn't just be long only. You absolutely could not be long only on that. You just would have gotten destroyed. You would have wasted all your money, blown up an account, refilled again, blown up another account, refilled again, blown up another account. And then it would take you years to get all that back just to get back to break even. So we don't want to just kind of be long only. We have to be able to dump some of our plays right now as it is. It is super prudent to just dump a lot of plays. Which ones? From my experience, I generally recommend dumping anything that is a non-income bearing Stock, in other words, something that doesn't have a dividend and shifting towards value. So does anybody know how many mutual funds in 2008 made money? So let's put this question out there. Hundred, there was, you know, back in 2008, there was like 150 mutual funds. Don't Google it. No cheating. If you know, you know, you don't, you know. One, one mutual fund in 2008 made money. One. Yes, one. And how did they do that? Well, there's a couple important things that they had, you know, and so they weren't in high tech, high growth at that time period. They didn't have their biggest holdings be high tech, high growth in that period. That was not it. They actually had a lot of income, dividend, high dividend paying stocks, a lot of value stocks that actually had produced money over time. They had modest declines when the market pulled back. And when the market recovered, they not only did good, but they were producing that extra income. You got to remember a high dividend is something that's going to reduce your cost basis over time. 
So every single time you get that dividend, it can reduce your cost basis. And so if you think about it, it's providing you income, which means it gives you a buffer in terms of where your actual entry price is. So it's important to understand that you right now, and we've been saying this has been Zing Option School for months now, be out of tech, be out of high tech, high growth stocks. They're going to underperform in this environment, especially in an interest rate environment. You want to be in stocks that are producing some sort of income. If it's not producing an income, you're going to have problems. Look at every tech stock pretty much under the sun. Is there any tech stock right now that is positive year to date? Not that I can find. Not that I can find. And if there is, if there's only one out of you know a few hundred, well, then that should tell you how poorly they perform in these environments. You can't. Tech was great in the COVID bounce. Tech was great in early parts of 2021. It's great in specific environments. In an interest rate increasing environment with high inflation, not a good stock to hold. These are not good stocks to hold. So super, super important. Now, the second one right here is dollar cost averaging. I cannot tell you how many times I have gone on social media and I have heard these things that make me vomit. Oh, I'm dollar cost averaging. Oh, I'm dollar cost averaging. Oh, I'm dollar cost averaging. I'm going to give you a brief history on dollar cost averaging, something that unless you're like a nerd and who like looks at financial history, you probably wouldn't know it. And then I'm also going to tell you the, tra the practical trading world applications of why you don't dollar cost average. So in the 1920s, there were these things called bucket shops. And in these bucket shops, you were trading with leverage pretty much without actually trading the stock. You were like trading almost like a CFD. These bucket shops actually didn't even own the shares that they were allowing trading in. They just had basically CFD style agreements with you, which means they agreed it's a contract for difference in the price. But this is back in the 1920s where there was like no ticker tape, none of that stuff. You know, there was no regulation around this. And what happened? Well, the market started to have some sell offs and these bucket shops make their money by the commissions and the frequency of the activity. And in bear markets, people are less likely to buy. Trading activity goes down. And so somebody with a really bright idea came out and said, dollar cost average, dollar cost average. And everybody's like, wait, what does that mean? And he had a mathematical thing behind it. Hey, by buying at a lower price, you're reducing your dollar cost average on the stock, which means that you're actually, the net part where your long shares actually goes down. Now that's true, but it misses a completely thing. So this whole thing about dollar cost average was actually devised by the bucket shops to get you to trade more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of history, probably something 99% of you did not know. Now, what's the problem with dollar cost average? I'm gonna ask everybody here in the chat, what is the one thing that dollar cost average does? What's the one problem with it? Who here is smart? Who here is smart? No comments. I know there's a little bit of a delay here, but I'm going to give this a few seconds. So who here sees a problem with dollar cost averaging? All right. Now I see the YouTube feed just catching up here. Now I see it. Okay. So if you own, it changes your short versus long-term taco. Going down, wash sales, taxes, taking the fifth. Taking the fifth. Nicely done, Zen Bullish. Adding to a loser, okay, raises average price. No, it lowers average price. Why catch a falling knife? I'm not. Yes. Yes. WXIA, WXIA. It increases your leverage. Every time you buy on a dip, you're increasing your position size, which means you're increasing your leverage into a bear market. Now, think about it like this. If you own a 1,000 shares on whatever stock at $100, and it goes down $1, well, you are losing $1,000. But if you buy another 500 shares at 99, and then you buy another 500 shares at, say, 95, and then you buy another 500 shares at, say, 90, you now have a 2,500 share position. You just increase the leverage. You made the gear that you have bigger. So a single dollar loss at that point is no longer a $1,000 loss. It is now a $2,500 loss. Absolutely do not, do not, do not, do not. Raise your hand. Say, I will not. Dollar cost average because I am no longer a rookie because Chris gave me an education about it. And I now understand how stupid this is. Anybody on social media tells you that, you know they have no idea what they're talking about. Automatically. 
Because if they did, they would be like, hey, dollar cost average, by the way, this does increase your leverage. It will increase your risk. It will increase your losses if it goes down. Why are you increasing leverage when the market's going down? Increasing leverage when the market goes down accelerates your losses. It causes the market to roll over faster. If everybody increases leverage in a bear market, the market sells off faster. That increases the pain. That's like taking a grenade, pulling the pin off and throwing it right in front of you and then wondering why did it blow off my foot? I don't know. Maybe because you increase leverage in a bear market. Do not, do not, do not dollar cost average. So you are welcome for me saving you a lot of time and giving you a nice dividing line who on social media is a rookie and has no idea what they're talking about in a market like this and who does. You're welcome. Okay. Now let's talk about buying insurance. So let's say you have stocks you still want to hold for whatever reason. Maybe you believe in them long term. Maybe you bought super, maybe you bought way lower than the price is now. And yes, it's well off its peak, but you still want to hold it. Okay, what do we do? What do we do? Well, it's time to buy insurance. And this is where options come in. So how can we buy insurance on existing long exposure? Let me know in the chat. How can we buy exposure on insurance on our existing long exposure that we want to hold? Type your ideas in the chat. Leverages and hedges are different instrument. Yes, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. If you're increasing leverage in a bear market, you're making a mistake. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, buy a put. Okay, so buy a put. Yes. Okay, now this is one way you can get insurance. We're going to see in a little bit how there are problems or certain issues with buying insurance. We're going to actually go through on an option chain and we're going to show you how buying insurance can be done right and how it can be done wrong. So let me go ahead and load up our Benzinga Option School platform. the trading account that we are using. Okay. So what I want to talk about is buying insurance. Now you can buy puts. Yes, you can do that. But if the market has already been selling off for a while, what's going to happen to the value of those puts? So, you know, the market's been selling off pretty much since the beginning of the year. We're now five months into the year. We're in the middle of May. The markets have been selling off. So what has changed from, say, January, if you were buying a 25 Delta put on whatever, a SPIES or XYZ stock, to today buying that same 25 Delta put? Who knows the difference? So what is the difference? Yes. Yes. So. So. Super important. Puts become more expensive. When the markets go down, puts get charged. They build up energy. They become more expensive. The premium goes up. When the market goes up, those puts become less expensive. Their energy diminishes. So <clears throat> we don't want to necessarily buy outright puts right now if the market has been selling off for days and is at the lows of the week, lows of the month, lows of the year. These puts are more expensive than usual. Super, super important. When markets go down, Implied volatility goes up generally, generally, not always. It's not like a perfect correlation, but generally when markets go down, implied volatility goes up. Implied volatility going up raises the value of the put. The stock price could have gone nowhere, but change the implied volatility and the value of that put actually increases. So implied volatility is really high right now. So we need to be really smart with how we buy these puts. And this really comes into the frequency of hedging. So I'm going to show you something here a little bit. It's kind of a little just hedging tip, so to say. All right. So let's say you're long. Let's just go spies, right? Let's say you own some spies, right? And you want to buy some downside protection. You think spies could be weak. You could think spies could be weak. You're not really sure how much, but you feel like, hey, there's some weakness in the market and we may go lower over a week, couple weeks or something like that. Well, you can buy puts at the beginning of every single week. You could every Monday, you can buy a whole new set of puts that expire that Friday. 
that will give you insurance and downside protection through that week. But there's a problem with that. So right now we have May 20th, which is Friday. So let's do next Wednesday's put. Next Wednesday's put is the 25th. Okay, so if we look at these puts, let's just say these at the money puts, right? This is 553 bid 556 S. So you're going to pay somewhere between 554 and a half and 556. Okay. So this is, you know, the at the money put right here. I'll just say 398, 640. We'll do that. 640. There's your at the money put. Now, this only gives you protection for one week. And that is, let's just look at this average cost, 648 right now. What if we wanted to go one month out, which would be 25th, 1st, 8th, and 15th. Okay, so we look at the 15th, June 15th. That same at the money put is only 1181. So we can get four weeks of protection for only, what is that, $5 more? If every single week you're reloading long puts, your costs will go up massively for the same insurance. Like on average, statistically, in bull and bear markets, if you buy one week out puts, you buy them on Monday for that Friday, you will end up paying two to 250% more for this downside insurance. So the frequency of the hedging is super important. We do not want to buy insurance every single week. We do not. It's overpaying for that insurance. So in terms of frequency of hedging, at best, you should be buying once a month. Any questions on that before we move forward? Yes, weekly puts will be more expensive in the long run. Super important. Monthly puts are cheaper. Yes, yes. Very good, very good. Some of you are getting this. Okay, now, if weekly puts are expensive, then what's the inverse play for us based on that? So weekly puts are expensive. We want to buy monthly puts, but there should be an inverse logic to this that gives us another hint on how we can reduce our cost basing and buy this insurance. So any ideas on how we can reduce the cost of this insurance? Let's see what you guys can come up with. Theta decay. Theta decay is smaller the further you go out in time. Like if you go one week, theta decay accelerates really fast. If you go one month out, theta decay is smaller per day. So what else can we do to help with our spread? We can do that, but then, then if you think about that, if that does neutralize time and volatility, but it also means that if the market sells off, we only have insurance up to a certain point. Because if you're doing a, a bare put spread, you're buying a put at the money, you're selling a put further out of the money. Once you hit this price, you have no more insurance. If the market collapses below this, you are completely underinsured, which means you have to reload another spread or another long put to do that. Buying an inverse ETF. Yeah, you could do that. That's one thing. Farther dated puts. Definitely not an iron condor. We don't want to do an iron condor. Yes, lineage and E2 computers and Craig Miller and Brandon. Yes. If buying weekly puts is expensive, then the inverse of this is selling weekly calls gives us more premium. So we don't want to buy monthly puts and sell monthly calls. We want to buy monthly puts and sell weekly calls. Because if it's about 200% more to buy weekly puts for a month worth of coverage, well, then we're going to get roughly a similar type return. Not as much, though. You're generally not going to get as much selling weekly calls as you would for weekly puts. So if you were to pay, say, over a month, $15 in premium by buying four weekly puts, if you were to sell the same calls, same deltas and everything, you're generally not going to get $15 in premium back. Why? Who knows the answer to this one? Buy inverse calls. We don't want to buy inverse calls. We're already long. We need to reduce our uh, upside exposure. We need to have downside insurance. Oh, are you saying buy inverse calls on uh, ETFs? Eh, it's not the same hedge. It's not a direct hedge. Yeah, buying inverse ETFs is not a direct hedge in and of itself. They're not, they're not, uh, they don't have the the one-to-one -one correlation. They don't have a slope of one in terms of correlation. So it's important. Buying inverse ETFs, it gives you a moderate hedge, 
but it's not the same as an option can do. And there's no convexivity in buying inverse ETFs. There's no convexivity. Profits are on a slope of one. There's no convexivity whatsoever. So what is, why do, if you were to sell four weekly calls, why would the premium from that not equal buying four weekly puts? Okay, it doesn't seem like anybody knows because there's a skew. There's a general skew to the index. So if the market is long, generally long, then they are generally buying those long puts, those downside puts for protection. As they buy those long puts, that increases the demand for them, which raises the premiums. Meanwhile, they're selling calls against that. That doesn't increase the demand, that reduces it. That reduces the cost. So there is a skew to the market. There isn't a perfect smile. That was the problem with the Black-Scholes model, is that it assumed calls and puts of the same deltas further out were of the same value. No, no, no. No, no, no. There is a skew to the market because those who are long tend to buy more puts and sell calls. That increases the price of the puts and that decreases the price of the calls. So when you sell four weekly calls and you buy four weekly puts, they won't be net you out at zero because the calls are of lesser value than those puts. Super, super important. <laughs> Zen Bullish is saying, at Chris, I know nothing. You know some things. I've seen here before. You know plenty. You know plenty. There's just a lot to learn when it comes to options. Okay. All right. So we've talked about frequency of hedging. We've talked about buy insurance. We've talked about how you are no longer rookies. You can take off your rookie badge and you are no longer dollar cost averaging. You're no longer dollar cost averaging. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about volatility trading. So in case you didn't know it, if you trade options in one way or another, you're a volatility trader. You're generally long vol or short vol. There's ways you can do it where you can be completely neutral on vol. Very difficult to do, very sophisticated. None of you are probably doing that. So for 99.9% .9 of you, when you trade options, you are either long vol or short vol. There's no way around it. Now, short vol is a carry trade. Flat out, short vol, when you sell vol, when you sell volatility, you are a carry trader. Short vol works until it doesn't short vol works when there is a low volatility environment when we are in this positive gamma environment because in a positive gamma environment the dealer's gamma exposure puts them in a position where they have to hedge in such a way where they put this buy limit order under the market and they put this sell order above so it kind of creates this mean reversion that's a great time to be short vol because we don't have to worry about volatility expressing itself for too long or too much because the dealers, the option dealers, natural hedging impacts reduce volatility. So short vol works great in positive gamma environments. Newsflash, we haven't been in positive gamma. We haven't had a positive gamma day in over a month. And we've only had about five, maybe six this year. So there's been what, four months, four full months, let's just say 22 trading days per month. And then we've had roughly, I don't know, 12 trading days so far. So we've had a total of 80, about 100 trading days this year. Of those 100 trading days, at best five, at best five, maybe six, were positive gamma. So selling volatility, other than a few swings here and there, has been a negative producing trade. Short volatility works great when nothing happens. When things are happening, short volatility is generally a bad strategy overall. If you've been short volatility every single week, just selling vol, selling vol, selling vol, selling vol, you were getting destroyed out of the water. On top of it, if you're selling iron condors, you're selling strangles, you're getting blown out of the water more often than not because you're trading against not only implied expanding, which it has been, but then there's realized, which has been many times outpacing implied. So you're selling options at an implied volatility that's at a discount to the realized, which means that you're selling it cheap. You're selling it underpriced. You're not selling it at the real price. So selling vol as a strategy is a carry trade and it works great. It worked great in the last decade. Got destroyed when COVID crash happened. Got a little bit better after the volatility normalized after the bounce. But this year, it's not working. 
You cannot just be short vol, short vol, short vol, because you'll just you'll just get crushed left and right. And it doesn't take much. We go over this in the Benzing Option School. We show like, hey, here's a short vol trade, and here's what the PL looks like when you adjust the volatility by three points. And all of a sudden, you adjust it by three points on certain positions, and there's no strike on the planet where this thing makes money. Like all of a sudden, every single strike on the planet, this option, the same strategy that makes money three points lower is now losing money. If you don't know that, then you're going to get blown out of the water by it. So short vol works great when nothing happens. We're not in that environment. Long vol is insurance. Now, long vol works when things are breaking. Long vol does great when things are breaking. When we're in this easy, positive gamma environment, which was basically 2010 till February 2020, when we're in those environments with just a few little spasms in between, but 95, 98% of the environments that happened in that decade there, short vol worked great. Long vol didn't work so great. Long vol works great when stuff breaks. Because when stuff breaks, generally realized vol is above implied. Realized is up here, implies down here. So if you're buying volatility at the implied, which is what the options are priced at, you're buying it at a discount to how it's actually manifesting. Super, super important. So if long volatility works when things are breaking, when things are not working so well, when the when the buy the dip strategy is not working, long vol works great. It's also important to understand that long vol or volatility is negatively correlated to the S&P 500, meaning you can trade volatility and not care what happens to the S&P 500. You don't have to care at all. You don't have to be long the S&P 500. You don't have to be short the S&P 500. You can just trade vol. It's completely negatively correlated to the S&P 500. So you can trade it and not have to worry in a bear market. Traders who are traditionally long vol consistently in markets like this, this is where they make three, 400% gains because nobody is long vol when the market starts to break and then the market starts to break and those long vol trades get more and more expensive. They're already long vol. They bought at a discount well before the market started to break. So that repricing and then the VIX and everything spiking increases the long vol portfolio. So it's important to understand that if you are trading options in any way whatsoever, other than some super sophisticated way, which probably none of you really are, you're, you're trading long vol or short vol one way or another. Super, super important. It's also important to understand, and this is something we've seen a rise of in these kind of new funds. Like we're realizing the 60-40 portfolio is not working right now. It's getting destroyed. The 70-30 portfolio, getting destroyed. There's a lot of them. Diversification, portfolios that are well diversified, that even have decent commodity exposure, are still losing money as a whole. And there's a reason for that. Because volatility is, whether you like it or not, its own asset class. It is now its own asset class. And if you're not including volatility in the portfolio, you're missing a major component of something that is always expressing itself in the market, regardless of whether a sector is hot or not. Super, super important. All right. Any questions before we move on to the next part, which is isolating some bulls? Orderflow Trader says, what is a carry trade? So a carry trade is any sort of levered type trade that produces a steady income stream when nothing happens. And then when something happens, it crashes. So I started off my FX career as a broker, mostly focusing on currencies that were heavy carry trades. So for example, in the currency market, what would be a carry trade? Well, Back in the day, there used to be wide interest rate differentials. This is probably like the Middle Ages or ancient history to some of you, maybe the Renaissance period. But back in 04 and then even 0203, central banks had varying interest rate differentials. Australia was generally around 4.5%. New Zealand at 7.25%. So if you went long the New Zealand dollar versus the US dollar, which was at 1%, you were gaining that 7.25% per day, paying out the one, you had a natural 6.25% carry. So your carry trades are trades that employ leverage, that are short volatility, and produce a regular stream of income. 
So that is a carry trade. It's a good question. Um, I love volatility trading. Same here. Absolutely the same. Okay. I wish I could do a beach walk. That's, that's copy that. Okay. So no more comments on that. All right, cool. So believe it or not, there are a few bulls in a market like this. I'm going to show you a few tickers of some that are bulls. And so remember that how I was telling you there was only one mutual fund in 2008 that made money. S&P 500 was down like 34, 35% in 2008. One fund made money. 0.4% on the year. That was it. He was the only mutual fund out of 150 that made money. And he was able to do a few things. He was able to, super, super important, he was able to isolate a few bulls. There's always going to be a few bulls in a bearish market because somebody is really going to be benefiting from this. And I'm not talking about inverse ETFs. I'm talking about things that actually had natural bullish upside to it because the environment really allowed that thing to shine. So there's always going to be some bulls in the market. And I'm going to show you a few tickers that are doing super well in that. This fund, this mutual fund, it was called Forrester Value. They had a huge portion of their portfolio in dividend and value stocks. We've talked about this before. This was super important. He didn't have his leadership concentrated in a few stocks. So 12% of the S&P 500 is Apple and Microsoft. That's that's quite a lot of you know heavy leadership just within those two stocks. They're responsible for over 10% of the S&P 500. Part of the reason why SPY was able to maintain its gains, whatever gains it did have over the last few months, or not lose as much is a better way of saying it, was because Apple was still holding. Once Apple broke, SPY's broke. So Apple, heaviest weighted stock in the S&P 500. Apple, you have Tesla's like top four, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. These are all top 10 holdings. They're all almost the same trade. They're all concentrated in tech for the most part. They're all virtually the same trade. So there was this kind of very heavy concentration of leadership in one sector. And he took an approach like, no, 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 flatten out leadership. Have a little bit, have your best performers, but don't have like 12% in two stocks insane absolutely insane to do that you have to spread it out and he spread it out over various sectors super super important bottom line is there are always going to be some stocks that are somewhat recession resistant not through all recessions but some of them will be and it's situation specific the 2008 great financial crisis many variables that were part of that were not variables that are present today we didn't have rampant inflation like we did back then we didn't have supply chain issues then we weren't coming out of a COVID crisis, which was a global health crisis. We weren't coming in. We, we didn't have an interest rate increasing environment where rates are going to be increased six, seven times. So the variables that are underpinning this current environment are not the ones that are, or many of them are not the same ones that are underpinning the last one. So you have to be able to look at things as situation specific. There will be some variables that will be the same. Volatility will generally act the same in almost every bear market. If you look at VIX all the way back to its inception or its analog predecessor, which was the VXO, which was based on the S&P 100, you can see that these things have generally, volatility generally acts the same. But there are going to be other variables and situations involved that are specific to that situation and you have to isolate them. So let's take a look at a couple of these and show you a few here. All right, UNG, doing quite well this year. Why? I mean, I don't really need to say why. It's up 126% on the year, but do I really need to say why? Russia, major gas producer, problems in Europe, Ukraine, creating all kinds of problems, commodities. Russia and Ukraine are like not top two, top two or you know, two of the top five wheat producers. This is going to have an effect on commodities. Inflation is going to affect commodities. On top of it, most commodities are transported, as Mark was aptly saying, by trucks using diesel fuel. So the cost of the commodities could be coming down. But if the diesel fuel is high, that's going to keep the prices of those commodities elevated. So commodities, we've been talking about this for months now in the Benzing Option School. Got to be long commodities. We already have like several pending trades just waiting on this right now. So UNG doing absolutely great right now. 
anything in the energy sector right now, most energy plays are doing super, super well. Super important to understand that. Oxy, one of Buffett's plays. By the way, two days ago, when Oxy was here, we told our Benzing Option School members, don't start buying. This is going to start rolling over. Why? Because of the reflexivity of options. Now Oxy loses $3 in one day and has got more to go. So commodities are generally doing well. Oxy also produces a dividend. Not much, but it's something. Oxy doing okay. Up on the year. We have no reason to not be long Oxy and we have no reason to dump Oxy right now. Like short term, we don't want to hold it. We think it's rolling over for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But medium term, we like Oxy. Oxy is doing well. What is up the year? Uh, again, 124%. UNG, 127%. There are going to be stocks that are going to perform well in a market like this. DBC, giving you some broad commodity exposure. Another one that we said two days ago, don't buy any more DBC. It's going to roll over because of the reflexivity of options. Same thing. DBC, up on the year, 33%. Doesn't have a dividend. It's fine. This gives you a little bit more broad-based commodity exposure. And again, most commodities are transported via trucks. So as long as that diesel cost is high, the cost has to be raised. Super, super important. So again, there are going to be stocks that are going to be bullish in environments like this. You just have to be specific in how you isolate them. And by the way, AMC is not one of those. AMC, in our opinion, sorry if you're an AMC fan, in our opinion, is a garbage stock. At the beginning of the year in January, we told everybody AMC is going to $10. It hit it last week. We said it beginning of the year. We also said GME is going to 50 they got, you know, down there, but we think it's going to head back down there. We look at these rallies in AMC and GME, perfect opportunities to sell. We are glad that they're rallying right now. We want you non-sophisticated retail investors to buy the heck out of AMC. Why? So we can take the other side of it when it tops out. And then we can start making money when it tops out. And you can be wondering, why isn't it going to the moon? I'm not leaving. AMC not leaving. And then you just get rolled over. If you bought AMC or you're holding AMC at the beginning of this year, your position is down 50%. AMC is down 50% on the year. Garbage stock. Garbage stocks aren't doing that. UNG is not doing that. DBC is not doing that. Oxy is not doing that. And some of those are producing incomes. So super, super important. Okay. Um, Spence, how am I doing on time? Spence is, Spence is gone. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to keep rolling. So we feel that we've kind of given you some framework for isolating some bulls. Now let's talk about some bearish option strategies. I only have about, I think about 15 minutes. So we've gone a little bit long on the tooth here, but buying more AMC, please buy more Kimberly. Please buy more AMC. Please buy more AMC. I want you to buy more AMC. The, the higher price you give it to me, the better opportunity you're giving me to sell it. Please, I want you to be AMC not leaving. I want you to be committed to that. You're only down 50% of the year. I mean, geez, you know, no lesson learned there. I want you to keep buying AMC so I can sell it at a higher price. Please, please, please keep pinning it up. I want to be on the other side of that. All right. So we've talked about, okay, saying so you got 18 minutes. Perfect. So we've talked about long puts. Long puts are good under the right conditions. There, you know, it depends. If IV is really high, you're overpaying for that, or you can be overpaying for that. There are times you can get it cheap, but now is not that time. Puts are still pretty rich right now. So how can we neutralize? If we're not that good at volatility trading, then we have to be a little bit more sophisticated. Because remember, if you're long puts, you're long delta, you're long gamma, you're long volatility. You lose money through delta, gamma, volatility going down, and theta. So how do you neutralize some of those biggest risks to you? Volatility and time. Well, you could do a bear put spread. So a bear put spread, I'm going to bring in my fancy pen tool here. All right. So a bear put spread is very straightforward. And let's go to a chart for this. And let's just take S&P 500. All right. So bear put spread, and we'll go this one right here. There we go. 
let's say you're someone who thinks S&P 500 is going back to the bottom here. Okay, you could buy along a put and you'll make money via Delta, Gamma, and IV, which is your Vegas, but you're going to lose money via the same, the same, the same, and if it goes in the opposite direction, and Theta, right? So how do we neutralize this IV and volatility going down or going against us? We buy put at the money and we can sell a put further out of the money. Now, this has advantages and disadvantages. If S&P 500 crashes through this and you're still holding it, you are unhedged here, which means you have to rebuy protection on that. The upside of this is that it does negate or reduce the impacts of theta on this long put and IV going against you. Because if this is long volatility, this is short volatility. If this loses money via theta, this makes money via theta. Granted, they're further deltas apart, so the theta and IV is not the same, but it neutralizes most of it. So it's a cheaper way to bound buy downside protection is a bear put spread. Now you can also, if you have the right kind of implied volatility levels, what if you like notice you look on the option chain, you're like, mm, this, this, this strike right over here has a decent amount of IV, you know, 391 or 390 or something like that. Well, then you can do a put broker wing butterfly, which is you buy a put, you sell two times the amount of puts lower, which cheapens the cost of this because you're selling two, you're getting two credits here. You're paying out for this. You're selling two here. And then you buy a little insurance on this. So if it does overshoot, you can have yourself covered here. Long put, long put, cover short two puts. This is always done in a ratio. If this is 10, this is 20, this is 10. So it all neutralizes each other. So it's a brokering butterfly because the distance is between the outer one in the middle and the middle and the lower one are uneven. Even butterfly doesn't have that. They're uneven. That's why it's a broken wing butterfly. So this sometimes in the right environment can be a great downside hedge because sometimes if you can find a good strike that has a really juicy amount of implied volatility, then that means this thing is the puts at this strike are a little bit rich. And therefore, you can take use that to your advantage. So put brokering butterflies are a good way to do this. A third strategy, which we also teach in the Benzinga Option School, let me move this over a little more space, is what we call a put seagull strategy. So you buy a put, it's just a bare put spread, sell a put lower, and to cheapen the cost of the whole thing, you sell a call above. And the PL ends up looking like a seagull kind of banking right or banking left. So the seagull banking right or seagull banking left. So this, if sometimes if you want to buy the put and sell a call, well, you could also cheapen this whole thing, bear put spread and cheapen the bear put spread by selling the call above. If it goes up, you make money in your shares. You get to keep the premium. If this overshoots this, you lose money in this. You should end up net positive if you do it right. But it's a cheaper way of just, instead of just doing the bear put spread, it's a cheaper way of having that exposure. So those are three different strategies that we can use besides the long puts by themselves, which are exposed to theta decay and IV declining. Any questions on that before we move forward? Truth be told, can't miss Mike Burke. If you say it like that, <laughs> Arlene, gonna see you. Uh, savage. <laughs> I like that. Tesla, $2 million. Let me put 650 strike. Yeah, that's just one strike, one expiry, though. Like one, it's very rare that one strike and one expiry. It's very, very rare that one strike and one expiry dominates the landscape. And two million is not that much. Like just to give you a rough idea, so I have this fancy little proprietary app my developers built that will collate all the options across all strikes and all expires for any ticker that I need. Tesla, we've actually seen Tesla option volumes increase over the last few days. On Monday. We only had about 1.9 million calls. Now we have 2.1 million calls. I'm sure some of those are traders selling calls. We also have about 2.1 million puts. So 4.2 million puts on options. 
two million dollars with the puts at the six fifty strike, immaterial. Immaterial. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a handheld rock that you're throwing into a lake. It'll create a little bit of a splash, but it's not going to, it's not going to move the market. It's not going to create waves. Kimberly says, first time here. We'll definitely be back. I'm glad to hear it. What time are your classes and is the content repeated weekly? So I do a 11 to 12 morning uh, class and then I do a two to four. This is Eastern time, 11 to 12 morning and then two to four Eastern Monday through Thursday. I have office hours on Friday, which is a one hour class. I also have uh, a newsletter on Sundays that I that I write, which gives trade ideas for the week as well. And I have a morning market commentary right around the market open, which tells everybody what's going on with the dealer option positioning. What are the major strikes? What's going on with volatility? What's the implied move on the day? What are the key support and resistance levels based upon open interest? So yeah. Now in terms of the content repeated weekly, so what it is, it's a two-week cycle. We do the lessons every two weeks and then we repeat, but but I decide to add a little flavor to it. First two weeks of the month, we take the core lessons and we evolve them. Because if you've been in this class for six months, you don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. So I evolve the lessons. First two weeks, we evolve the lessons. Last two weeks, we keep the lessons identical so somebody who's new can roll right into it and feel like, hey, no problem. This is all, you know, so we just do the last two weeks exactly the same as they originally were intended. The first two weeks, we take the material and we evolve them. So the knowledge tree gets bigger for those who have been here for a while. So yes, they're also all recorded. Jen is saying, I made my money back in the first month. Y'all, this is worth it. Chris is an amazing teacher. I really appreciate that, Jen. That's very nice. Thank you. Okay, how do you trade vol? This is a really good question. And Spence, can I go for five more minutes? You cool with that? Let me, uh, producer AB, let me know. Um, go for it, Chris. So how do you trade vol? So yes, you can trade vol via VIX. There are other ways you can trade vol. Very simple ways you can trade vol. For example, you can be long a straddle. Long a straddle is a long vol play. You're a long call. You're long a put. You don't need this to go in your direction. Like at expiry, you're going to have your break even thing, but that's at expiry. Your PL on the day will be this kind of like purple line, and this will adjust based upon implied vols. So if you're buying these at whatever, 50%, you know, let's just say 53% implied vol. If these go up three points, this kicks this curve up. And now at any strike, you're in the money. You're making money on it. So that's a simple way to trade long vol. Very simple way to trade long vol. If you're long a call or a put, you're long vol. You don't have to get, if you trade a single leg, long call and put, you don't have to get the, the strikes right. It doesn't even have to move in your favor. As long as the implied volatility goes up, the value of that option goes up. So you can trade long vol many ways. Technically, buying the S&P 500 is in its own way a short vol trade because the S&P 500 is a carry trade in and of itself. And selling the S&P 500 in its own way is a long vol trade. Why? Because if you live in Thailand, you really don't have a VIX that you can trade in terms of volatility. So what product are you trading for volatility? VIX. What product are you buying insurance on? The S&P 500. The S&P 500 is the global instrument for insurance. It is the biggest insurance market in the world. And so it's super important to understand. There are many ways, though, to trade long vol besides trading VIX. VIX also has its own suite of products, all these ETPs, SVXY, UVXY, VXX, but the volumes are down because Barclays suspended the notes on that. There are many, many ways that you can trade long vol. And there are many ways you can trade short vol. You don't have to do it through VIX directly. And you don't have to do it through options on the S&P 500. There are many, many ways to trade. So it's a great, great question. Um, yes, Pitbull, $7 for seven days. That's the trial. After that, that's the deal. So worth it. You get to 10 class live. We analyze all our students' trades. We get to give you trade ideas. You earn while you learn. We're making money. Our trades have been making money. We just closed another trade for 133% profit, roughly. Um, so yes, you can earn while you learn. All right. Any last questions before we wrap this presentation up? All 
All right. I think we're good. All right. Do you want me to keep going, Spence? If you want me to keep going, I can. Otherwise, we can roll into the next one. I'm totally cool either way. You call the ball, Spence. Uh, hey, Chris, you can go ahead for a little bit yeah? longer. Okay, sweet. All right. So let's go ahead and pick. Go ahead and pick a ticker. I'm going to analyze the options on that. Look at the option chain. Oh, WC has a question. On SP as a carry trade with long VIX, how to control the position if you want to be cash neutral? Well, if you take a position, you're not going to really be cash neutral. The I think are you asking about delta neutral? You wouldn't you wouldn't trade have a trade on SP 500 and the VIX and consider that a delta neutral trade. You can all be delta neutral technically within the same instrument. So it's super important you understand that. Yeah. Chris sounds like the real deal. Thanks. I appreciate that. I hope I've been on the buy side and the sell side, done that for 20 years. So please repeat the times you are live, you're on live in the Benzing Option School. Yes. So 11 to 12, we have a morning class. That class is mostly just focusing on, focusing on the market. We go over our market commentary. We go over the S&P 500 Qs, trade ideas I'm looking at, VIX. We look at the volatility complex. And then we just go over trade ideas from there. We share trade ideas we're looking at, trade ideas we're in, trade ideas the students have. So it's really all about the market. Then the second session of the day, that's the class. That's two hours long. That's two to four Eastern. And we have a set curriculum that we rotate through every two weeks. The first two weeks of the month, we take the lessons and we evolve them. So we go deeper and deeper into those lessons. The last two weeks, the lessons are as is so that newer traders can get up to speed. So yes, it's a great question. Um, my keyboard messed up. It's all good. All right. Sweet. All right. I can, let's see. Okay. Cover that. All right. So a couple other things, actually, let me just talk about kind of the reflexivity options on the S and P 500, and then I'm going to wrap it up. So we had talked about days ago that VIX was getting a little bit rich and it needed to find new highs on, you know, it need to find new highs if we wanted the S&P 500 to continue losing ground. The S&P, the VIX has been a little bit rich for a while. You know, for the longest time, it was kind of in this situation, right? With a few prods below. I'm not surprised that it went to there yesterday and this morning, VIX expiry in the morning. So we had actually called days ago saying, hey, the S&P is probably going to start rallying. Not because traders are buying it. Real money macro traders are not buying it. Share volume yesterday was 50% the 10-day average. So it wasn't shares that was pushing the S&P 500 up. And options volume were nothing spectacular. So why was the S&P 500 yesterday and the days before that going up? Well, implied volatility like VIX can only get so high. The higher you get on implied volatility, the more expensive those options get. And so if you're really high, you're up here. The options are really expensive. They need new buyers to come in to keep pushing VIX higher, to keep implied volatilities higher. The problem is, is that eventually you run out of buyers. And the other problem is, is that when that starts to unwind, when VIX starts to unwind, this creates what's called a Vanna rally. So this is talking about how the changes in implied volatility affect the deltas and how that actually affects the dealer hedging impacts. So when implied volatility starts to go down, if you think about it like a distribution, if this is high implied volatility in terms of the distribution curve, and that's the at the money, when you go to, when you reduce the implied volatility, that same curve becomes much narrower, narrow range of strikes, which means that the dealers don't have to hedge out on the wings anymore. So through their natural reflexivity of hedging that they do, they actually start to buy back spies. Because if traders are long puts, dealers are short puts, dealers have to short shares to Delta hedge that. Well, if the traders who are long puts are losing money because the IV is coming down, well, then they start closing that out. Dealers unwind their short puts. Dealers unwind their short share hedges. They start buying back the shares. This provides liquidity for the market. This is what had been happening over the last few days in spies. But these rallies do not last. Unless the market starts buying calls at the money or further out of the money, and in, and in terms of expiries further out in time, these rallies do not last. So to us, we even said in our market commentary, we think SPY rallies till Wednesday at best Friday. Why Wednesday? Because VIX expiries in the morning. All those long VIX plays got pulled out of the market. So 
hedges are unwound, then traders reset that. So we look at this right now and saying we had anticipated this days ago. At best, spies would rally till Friday. In some sense, this is actually good for the market because if it does go down, that charges the long puts, that gives it more fuel for a short covering rally. But it also suggests how weak the market is. So I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm going to leave it for another lad named Chris. I've only, I've, I've very rarely met a lad, a lad named Chris that I didn't like. So hopefully he's a nice guy like me. <laughs> but I'm going to leave it here on that.